0: sabbath everyone all right please bow, bow your heads with me and we'll pray dear father in heaven lord again i thank you so much for this day the opportunity we have to worship you and lord at this time i ask that you remove mm, remove me from this lord And, Lord, may people hear what you want them to hear, and may they take away your message. We thank you, Lord, and I ask these things in your name, amen. A young man once sat, wondering what it meant to be a Christian. He knew of the way a person's life could be changed when they came to Christ. He knew about repentance and the, you know, the seeking of help from God. He he knew those things. But as he sat there that day, looking out over the field, he had to ask himself, what was next after he had come to accept Christ? Well, then what? What then? As the, the fuzzy feelings of conversion began to fade away, what then? And today like that person some of us may sometimes wonder the same thing what next what what's the next thing what's the next step I can take in this walk as a Christian and so today we're going to take a look at a story that happened many years ago see today she's called a great evangelist an effective missionary and in fact her story is said to represent the working of a practical faith in Christ She had found her way to Jesus one afternoon and from that encounter, her life was turned upside down and forever changed. In fact, with this encounter, she had to tell others about what had happened to her. Please turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. And we're going to look at verses 28 and 30. John chapter 4, 28 and 30. Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He can't be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to see him. Keep your Bibles open there because we'll be going back and forth. In the SDA Bible commentary, it's written about this woman that for such a person as she was to have such a profound conviction about spiritual things was enough to arrest anyone's attention. In other words, this woman's life was full of some troubles. And she obviously wasn't the type of person that, you know, people would have associated her with spiritual matters. And now here she is excited about something. And the people of the town are wondering what it is that she is so excited about. And sometimes it's just like that. We can't necessarily explain exactly what it is that has happened to us when we come to Christ. And yet, we're left saying, come and see. When we experience Christ in our lives, when we have that real encounter with Christ, people are going to say, come and see. There's something different. And they're going to be curious. Many new Christians experience this all the time when they first come to Christ. They have that warm, fuzzy feeling. And their life may be completely different than the life that they were just leading. Come and see. Here, Jesus had told her all about herself. And when she tries to change the topic and talk about true worship, and then she goes to the Jews and the Samaritans and the problem there, and finally she just says, You know what? When the Messiah comes, he'll just explain it all. And he says, I am the one who, I am the one. I am he that is speaking to you. I am that Messiah. She had found her Messiah. But see, there was something else to this story something else to this encounter that runs even deeper. See, this woman had three things going against her. First off, she was a Samaritan. Now, no one can help where they're born, but being a Samaritan during this time period had a lot of drawbacks. You weren't allowed to worship in Jerusalem with the Jews. You, you couldn't really even associate with the Jews. In fact, Jews and Samaritans did not talk to each other. They did not like each other, and they had a long history of not liking each other. Turn with me to 2 Kings. 2 Kings. Let's look at their history for a second because we need to get an understanding of who this woman was. 2 Kings chapter 17. The king of Assyria brought people from Babylon Cutha, Ava, Hamath, and Sephavem, and placed them in the cities of Samaria in place of the people of Israel. They took possession of Samaria and settled in its cities. When they first settled there, they did not worship the Lord. I'm just going to pause there. So here these people are. they don't worship God. they're pretty much from a collection of heathen nations all around and they have been settled in this place known as Samaria. All right, and jumping down to verse twenty eight. So one of the priests whom they had carried away from Samaria came and lived in Bethel, and he taught them how they should worship the Lord. So somebody tried. They said, you know what, we need to teach these people. And it was, it's was it been said about them that they, they mixed. So they had their worship of Yahweh, but then they also had their pagan beliefs and their pagan ideas, and they kind of flip-flopped between the two of them. And so by the time that you come to the Jews being taken away, they go to Babylon, they come back, they're going to rebuild their temple. And I want you to turn with me to Ezra. The book of Ezra. I've got to find my spot here. Ezra 4, 1 and 3. So here the Jews are, they're building their temple. And when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the returned exiles were building a temple to the Lord, the God of Israel, they approached Zerubbabel and the heads of families and said to them, Let us build with you, for we worship your God as you do, and we have been sacrificing to him ever since the days of King Ashar of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the rest of the heads of the families in Israel said to them, You shall have no part with us in building a house to our God, but we alone will build a house. To the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus of Persia has commanded us. So if this side here is the the Samaritans, and this side here is the Jews, you guys don't like each other at all. You have a long history of just not liking each other, not working together, and yeah, you you don't want to talk together. Um, So you and you would not share food together. You're not going to ask each other for favors. You're not going to worship together. Nothing like that. There's this division So by the time you get to the days of Christ, it was a lot like this example, just to illustrate how much these two didn't like each other. So once there was a church, the church decided that it needed to pick a new pastor. Well, this side of the church picked one person, and this side of the church picked another person, and they invited both of them to come and preach on the exact same day at the exact same time, because they just couldn't agree. And so they both begin preaching at the exact same time and one gets louder and it turns into a complete shouting match until finally, you know, it's time to sing a hymn and this side picks one hymn and this side picks another hymn and they both begin to sing the same different hymns loudly until finally the police are called in and they get mixed up in the mess and it's just a mess. And this is the situation that we have right now. It's just a mess between the Samaritans and the Jews. And yet they were under the order of Pontius Pilate. So here's Jesus. This woman is a Samaritan, and he is a Jew. Secondly, she was a woman. Being a woman was a problem because, especially during that day, you had a lower socioeconomic status. It was often said that a Jewish man would pray, and he would say, Lord, I thank you that I am not a Gentile, and that I am not a slave, and that I am not a woman. Women and men didn't mix when it came to social gatherings. And when a man did need to talk to a woman, her husband had to be present. And in this case, that brings us to problem number three. She had no husband at the moment. So here's three reasons why Jesus did not have to talk to this woman at all. He could have easily said, you know what? No, this isn't happening. But does Jesus do that? No, he talks to her and he says to her, give me a drink. Go to John 4, verse 9, because her response sums up perfectly the feelings of the day towards her. John 4, verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? And yet, does that stop Jesus? Absolutely not. Jesus saw nothing more than someone needing to be reached. Today, what are some barriers that we face when it comes to reaching out to other people? It may not be so much gender anymore, but there may be financial barriers. Maybe someone is richer than us or poorer than us. Maybe it's fear of being associated with somebody like that. And sometimes fear itself can just simply stop us. But none of these stopped Jesus for a moment. He saw an opportunity to reach out, and he did just that. And how did he do it? And I love this way. How did he reach her? He asked her for a drink. Something so simple as that. And I love what the desire of ages has to say about that very moment. She says, trust awakens trust. In other words, he was trusting her to help him. And that made me think about my own life. I don't know about the rest of you, but I plan... I'm I'm a big planner, so whenever I go anywhere, I like to think of all the things that could go wrong and all the ways that I could try to remedy that situation before it goes wrong. If I break down on the highway, do I have my cell phone? Okay, good. Um, You know, et cetera, et cetera. Do I have water to drink? Do I have something to eat for later? Different things like that. And yet here was Jesus on a long trip, and he had no way to get water for himself. And so here he is, sitting at a well, completely dependent on a stranger for help. Give me a drink, he says. And sometimes saying, hey, I need help, it can lead to a conversation with someone else that can run a lot deeper than a platonic, hey, how's it going? Good? Good. See you later. Trust awakens trust. I love that. But by asking for a drink, Jesus was also able to bridge a gap and do four other things. First off, he was able to awaken a desire in her for something better, something that she needed. And so he begins to talk about living water. He says, you know, I have this living water that you can have. And she is curious, what is this living water? She's got to have it. Imagine having something that would mean that she didn't have to run back and forth to a well every day. Imagine having that. And so she becomes curious. So there's a desire, you know, awakening within her. And so she says to Jesus, she says, give me this water. So now the second thing that he does is he makes her see her need for a savior. And so he says to her, he says, go and bring your husband here. And she says to him, I have no husband. And Jesus says, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands and the one that is now with you is not your husband so what you say is true so she begins to see her need for a savior and I love what she does she changes the topic how many of us when we're in an uncomfortable situation when somebody asks us something personal we tend to try to change the topic and that's exactly what she does she rushes into discussing worship the true form of worship and all these other things And Jesus is so patient with her. He just lets her lead the conversation. Until finally, she says, when the Messiah comes, he, he'll answer everything. And in verse 26, Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking. I can only imagine her standing there with her jaw wide open as suddenly the realization begins to dawn on her that the man sitting in front of her is the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah. And he's talking to her. He knows everything about her, and yet he's not condemning her on the spot. He knows everything about her, and yet he's reaching out to her. Imagine what would have gone through her head. Imagine what would go through our head if we were in her place. And so comes the third thing. It was time for her to make a decision. It was time for her to decide. She has the knowledge, what will her decision be? And today for us, when we have that experience with Christ, when we experience his love and his forgiveness, what is our decision? Do we choose to accept it? Or do we choose to leave our water barrel bucket on the, on the well and simply just say, you know what, forget it? What will our decision be today? But thankfully, the woman doesn't do this, and that brings me to point number four. Her decision has to be made into an action. And so what does the woman do? Verse 28, then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He can't be the Messiah, can he? And they left the city and were on their way to see him. Her decision had to be turned into an action. When we experience Christ and our life is turned upside down, what will our result be? What will our decision be? What will our action be? And so we may ask ourselves, well, how? How can I do this? And I want you to look at verse 39. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Many of the Samaritans believed because of the woman's testimony. All she did was share her experience with Christ, with others. She wasn't necessarily a Bible student. She wasn't a minister, but she shared her personal experience with Christ. Come and see. Our testimony, our personal, personal story, our connection with Christ connects us with other human beings when we share it because they can say, you know what, if it's working for you, then maybe it can work for me. And that's what these people did. They ran out to see what it was that this woman was so excited about. What was it that there was obviously some sort of a change in her life? What was it? The desire of ages, when talking about us, says, Every true disciple is born into the kingdom of God as a missionary. He who drinks of the living water becomes a fountain of life. The receiver becomes a giver. And that brings us to Psalms 105, verse 1 and 2, which was our scripture reading today. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known his deeds among the people, sing to him, sing praises to him, and tell all of his wonderful works. We're supposed to tell others, how is God working in our lives? The woman's testimony wasn't necessarily that amazing. She ran away saying, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Are we telling other people how Christ is working in our lives? Are we telling other people how we have experienced his love and his forgiveness in our own life? Share that. And this is exactly what the woman does as she runs off. And I love, she challenges them. In verse 29 and 30, she says, He can't be the Messiah, can he? And they left the city and were on their way to see him. They were curious. What was this woman talking about? Who was this person that had changed her so drastically in such a short amount of time? And so the people come running, and they invite Jesus to stay with them for two more days. And I absolutely love the result. Verse 41. And many more believed because of his being Jesus' word. And they said to the woman, you know what? It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. That's how it happens. I no longer believe because of what you've told me, but now I believe because I have experienced it for myself. And now they have their own testimony to share. And the chain keeps going. So what next when we become Christians? What, what's missing when our, our prayer life and our devotions, it feels like something there needs to be something more? Are we sharing it with other people? Are we sharing what Christ is doing for us on a daily basis with other people? As Christians, with a connection with someone so amazing as Christ, and with all that he has done for us in forgiving us, in loving us, and being patient with us, and the list goes on. Are we sharing that with other people? Are we telling them why, why we might be a little different? Are we telling people the truth about who we really are and the God that we serve? Come and see. There's one other group I just want to look at quickly that's mentioned in this story. And they're worth taking a look at because it's one that I think we tend to, well, I don't know about the rest of you, but sometimes I tend to associate with the the best. See, while all this is going on with the woman and here she is encountering the Savior of the world, the disciples come back. And they had been off buying food and they come back and the woman runs off and so they come up to Jesus in verse 31 and they say Rabbi, eat something but he says to them I have food to eat that you do not know about so the disciples said to one another surely no one has brought him food and Jesus said to them my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work the disciples were so eager to just get through this land of Samaria See, a lot of the Jews would oftentimes go through the Jordan Valley, which is a longer route than to go through Samaria, because they just did not want to talk to these people. And here the disciples were thinking about food. And so many times we think about our daily lives. We think about the work assignments that we have. We think about school assignments that we may have. We think about the bills that we need to pay. And we forget that there are people out there who know nothing. And yet we have something so great to share with them. And Jesus says to the disciples, do you not say four months more and then comes the harvest? But I tell you, look around you and see how the fields are ripe for harvesting. Look around you and see how the fields are ripe for harvesting. There are people out there right now who are looking, who are searching, and who need us to share our testimony. It's something so simple. What if Jesus had looked at the woman and thought, ew, another Samaritan. I'm not going to talk to her. I don't have to talk to her. I'm on that side, not that side. Or what if he looked at her and said, well, technically it's not appropriate for me to address her without her husband present, so I don't have to. Or what if he would simply looked at her and said, why would I waste my breath talking to a woman? What good can she possibly do? It would have been a different outcome if he'd just gone off with the disciples and bought food. It would have been a very different outcome. Today, we have a God working in our lives in a mighty way. we have a testimony to share. And there are people at those doors who have never heard and maybe they just need a friend. And it's hard. But as Jesus said, look around you. The fields are ripe for harvesting right now. Today I pray that all of us can become like this woman, so on fire because of what God is doing in our daily lives that we can't help but run out and shout to other people and say, come and see a man who has told me everything I've ever done. Come and see how God is working in my life today. And I pray that the response will be such that people will say, it's no longer because of what you've told me that I believe, but rather I have experienced it for myself and now I believe. And we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. Amen.